gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. We're all on a journey called life, and the goal of the Salty Pastor Podcast is to help you navigate it for yourself. We do this by strengthening you through the knowledge and tools um, that we give you. The deeper the knowledge you have, the greater wisdom you possess. We focus on what is true, and we clarify what your options are. And finally, we encourage you with support, helping you find other people who want to grow and develop on this journey called life. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the salty pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. So good to be with you. Yeah, I like the way you said that. Strengthening people through knowledge and tools, focusing on what is true and what is not true, because that clarifies your options. Right. You know, sometimes we don't understand the actual choices we're making. Yeah. Uh, there's just so much noise and confusion, so you want some really great core values to help you cut through the fog of, of war, so to speak. And then, uh, encouraging people with support, you know, you're, you're not in this alone. You got people to, to go through it with you and we want to help you meet and know and be encouraged by those people. Hey, you got the salty pastor right here, encouraging you through it. So we are glad you're here and glad you are listening. Absolutely. And we are in the middle of our series, The Unmodern Family, where we're focusing on your family. Your family is the greatest impact on your life, good or bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, our society is no longer helping people develop healthy families. uh, So there's more and more dysfunctional families out there, uh, which in turn creates more and more dysfunctional people. people. Uh, You started in your message on Sunday that you believe that this is intentional. It didn't happen by accident. Uh, What do you mean by that? And why is it important to know that well i think uh, a person's goal you know if you're listening your goal should be to create the healthiest and strongest family possible right i mean that's what most people do the reason you you get married the reason you have children is you want a happy and full and successful life so it's really critical to know what you're up against in today's world Mm. you need to know what you're up against if your goal is to have a healthy and strong family Uh, You need to know that every step you take towards being a strong and healthy family, that goal that you have in front of you is going to be opposed by the society in which you live in all kinds of subtle ways. So you need to know what you're up against um, and what you're facing when you set a goal of, I want a strong and healthy family. Absolutely. So every person who wants a strong and healthy family needs to be aware that society is not helping them achieve this process right now. Yeah. If you want a strong and healthy family, you're going to basically be a rebel, you know, against your culture. You're going to have to be a counter culture revolutionary (laughs) if you want a strong and healthy family. Well, let's dig into some scriptures and study the foundation of what a strong family is. So where would you like to begin, Pastor? Well, as we began studying last week, you know, the foundation of a strong and healthy family is the relationship between a husband and wife. And we call this relationship marriage. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. Yeah, I want to read some... uh, passages about what yeah. we saw last week concerning marriage. Matthew 9, 3, or 19, 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, have you not read that divorce... Uh, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no person is to separate. They said to him, 
Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Okay, so there you have the passage from Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. Then the next passage that we really need to focus on is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's really long. I'll read it, though, because it's important for us to just... I want you to just listen to the words that Paul is writing. Right. Okay. Okay. So here we go. Verse 1 of chapter 7, first book to the Corinthians. Now concerning the things about which you wrote... So this tells us that they wrote him to answer some questions about marriage. He says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, he means sexually here. But because of sexual immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to the wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. So he's saying that sexual intimacy is a responsibility or duty of your marriage. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband also does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So stop depriving one another. So he's talking about sexual intimacy, except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. By this I say by way of concession, not of command. Yet I wish that all men were even as myself am. Paul was single. However, each has his own gift from God in one way and in another that. So he's basically saying that I wish everybody was like me, but they're not. So I'm saying this is a concession. (laughs) Verse 10. But to the married, I want to give instructions. Not I, but these are actually the instructions of the Lord. That the wife is not to leave her husband. Now, if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. So the Corinthians had written Paul and asked him a question about, oh, well, you know, the husband became a Christian and the wife doesn't want to be one. That's grounds for divorce, right? And Paul's like, not necessarily. If she agrees, say, I want to still be married, then he can't just say, oh, I'm going to divorce you because you're not a Christian. And so that's what, that's a question he is answering. He goes, now listen, verse 14, the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise, your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet, if the unbelieving one is leaving, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So now what he's saying is that, look, uh, if this person consents to live with you, even though they're not a believer then you're, they're sanctified through you. In other words, there's an opportunity for them to discover and walk in sanctification. But then he turns around and says, but if they choose not to leave, don't worry about it. It's not your responsibility because you, know, you never know if you could save your wife or husband anyway, right? right. So That's not a promise or a guarantee. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what he's basically saying. 
And he goes, and also your kids get exposed to the gospel and they get to raise up. And that's what he means by clean. Verse 17, only as the Lord is assigned to each one, as God has called each in this way, let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. So he says, I teach this everywhere I go. Verse 18, was any man called when he was already circumcised? He's not to become uncircumcised. That's a joke, by the way. Okay. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each person is to remain in that state in which he was called. So are you called as a servant? Uh, Some translations use the word slave. Um, I, I don't, I'm not fond of using the term slave because when we, what it means to us in English, we think of chattel slavery, right. okay, based on ethnicity. And that is not anywhere close to what slavery was in the New Testament, okay? okay? What it was is you have to realize that s- slaves or were people who di- were not in business for themselves. Right. Basically, everybody was in business for themselves. And so what you would do is that if you wanted to work for somebody else, you became their servant. And then you could become a bond servant. Now, also in the Roman Empire, they did practice slavery dramatically. And these are people who it wasn't based on ethnicity. It was just based on vulnerability. Right. So they would go in, they would conquer. And what they do is they take a bunch of people and imprison them, bring them back and sell them. Or so, put them in the games or whatever, right? Or whatever, like we yeah. We see that in Gladiator. Like yeah, the, so they didn't the have whole the premise freedom. of Gladiator was that he basically mm-hmm. had become a slave because he had been captured after he almost died. Exactly. So everybody had, there's different social rules and laws depending upon your class. Right. And Rome was a very hierarchical, you know, social structure. So each class had different rules and laws. Okay. So what's interesting is he goes on to say this. He goes, don't, he goes, were you called as a servant? Don't let it concern you. But if you're able to become free, take advantage of that. So this is very important in the abolitionist movements later on as Western civilization became more and more Christian. And that is, is that freedom is advantageous over slavery. Mm. That's a very core biblical principle that was written specifically about. There's a lot of people today who talk about how slavery is supported in the Bible and, and talks about that's just completely false. That's just not true at all. They're gaslighting you. It's fake news. Now, he says, he goes on to say, now the one who was called in the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freed person. Likewise, the one who was called as free is Christ's slave. So what he's, see what he's doing here is he's trying to simply say is that just remember your priorities. You know, you don't become a Christian in order to be a counter-revolutionary and overthrow the government. Right. You know, what you do is you become a Christian for the purposes and values of the kingdom of God. And if you're, if you're, if you've been taken as a slave, you know, like Gladiator or, or Ben-Hur or anybody, guess what? Um, there are higher values to live for, and you're actually a free person in Christ. Mm. And conversely speaking, maybe you are a free person, right? But you're actually a slave to Jesus. So what he's saying is you have to invert them in order to understand the true nature of the values of the kingdom of God. He goes, you were bought for a price. Do not become slaves of people. Brothers and sisters, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Now concerning virgins. So he's still weaving all this together about marriage. Now, if you're a virgin, I have no command from the Lord, but I am offering direction as one who, by the mercy of the Lord, is trustworthy. 
So I think then that this is in good is good in view of the present distress. That it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you're not committing a sin. And if a virgin marries, she is not sinned. Yet such people as yourselves will have trouble in this life. So if you want to avoid any trouble, don't get married. That's what he's saying. (laughs) And I'm trying to spare you. By this I say, brothers, the time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as those who did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the present form of this world is passing away. So it's obvious that first century Christians saw Christ coming back next week. Right. You know, it was not... You know, even though Jesus said only the father knows and he'll decide. And he also goes on to say, blessed are those who are, um, uh, uh, never met me, but believe in me anyway. There's a, there's an ongoing joke in the show, the chosen. Have you seen this pastor? No, I have not. You have not. Uh, there's an ongoing joke where Jesus constantly uses the phrase soon and him and John the Baptist in their couple interactions that they show in the show yeah. are always joking about there's your definition of soon again, because <laughs> there, he's kind of alluding to the, Oh, the, it'll, that time will come soon. And it's, Jesus is always very vague about what the length of soon <laughs> is. And I think that's accurate here too, right? We're anticipating our version of soon yeah. and we need to be thinking. We're God's like kids in the back soon. of the car. And we asked dad, when are we going to be there? He goes, oh, we're almost there. Almost. Yes. <laughs> what does that mean? You know, but anyway, he goes on to say, it's, it's really interesting. He says, but I want you to be free from concern. Verse 32. So he's saying, look, there's a purpose to my teaching here. And you need to understand the purpose of this biblical teaching. And that is, is that you're not filled with anxiety and you're not filled with uh, worry. And you can be free from being concerned about these things. He goes, one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord and how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she should be holy both in body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. So the goal is undistracted devotion. But notice some of the things that he says in here. If you're married, you should be concerned about pleasing your wife. That should be a top priority in your life. Mm. If, if you are uh, married, you should make your husband and pleasing him a top priority in life. And so what Satan does is he causes resentment and unmet expectations to give you an excuse not to serve and please your husband or serve and please your wife. Mm. And so that's why people get so unhappy. He goes, then he goes on to say this. But if anyone thinks that he is acting dishonorably towards his virgin, his virgin, if she is past her youth and it ought to be so, let him do what he wishes. He is not sinning. Let them marry. So what is he saying here is that the father, if he had a virgin daughter, see, he, could, he controlled over whether she could be married or not. 
this is a cultural thing at the time. At the time, yeah. That dad decided who you're going to marry. And I mean, like, you go to India, and it's that, still that way. Right. Um, marriages are arranged. But anyway, here he's saying, you're not sinning by letting your wife, your daughter, get married. Because you got to realize, these people, right, came to the Lord. They expect Jesus to come back. Their kids became believers with them, baptized and, with them. And they're and, saying... And they're anticipating soon, soon which is... And it's like, why would I let my daughter go off with some other guy? I, I You know, I want to keep her pure because we're going to heaven real quick. Right. Especially if they're, if they're potentially wanting to marry a... Uh, you know, an unbeliever, right? Yeah, so I, don't, like, I don't think they'd allow that. Why don't you that? just wait? <laughs> We're going to go to heaven yeah. soon. He's coming back soon. Just yeah. wait, just a, little wait bit, a little bit. And yeah. then you, it won't matter who you're married to. And so what he's saying is, he goes, look, you're not sinning if you let her marry. He goes, verse 13, but the one who stands firm in his heart, if he is not under constraint, but has authority over his own will and has decided this is in his own heart to keep his own virgin, he will do well as, as well. So he's saying... But the other side of it is, as dad says, I don't want my daughter. I don't want to give her away in marriage. That's okay, too. Okay. So then both the one who gives his own virgin in marriage does well, and the one who does not give her in marriage will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whomever she wishes, but only in the Lord. Okay. And so that's where she's saying, he's saying, don't marry an unbeliever because mm. that'll just cause all kinds of problems. And then he goes on, in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I also have the spirit of God. So see how there's a ton of teaching there about marriage and it just keeps on going. It just you know? keeps going. Uh, well, and Paul does some teaching to the Colossians as, as well, right? Yes. Um, mm -hmm. So Colossians 3, 18 through 21 Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not become bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not antagonize your children so that they will not become discouraged. So it is interesting that Paul was the one that chose to be basically celibate, right? And and mm -hmm. didn't have a family. But I think he speaks the most to what a biblical family is. should look like, which is is an interesting thought, right? And notice how he talks about children and parenting after he talks about wives and husbands. He sets, a, he sets up a structure of what order you need to worry about things, yeah. right? And then you hear it in more depth in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 33, where he says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water in the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ also does the church, because we are parts of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Now this is a mystery that is great. I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, as for you individually, each husband is to love his own wife the same as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. 
So you see a more in-depth teaching here about wives, husbands, and then he goes on in chapter 6 to talk about children. And it doesn't end there. There's even more teaching. Yeah, and I mean, even in Hebrews, right? Yep. Hebrews 13, 4, mm-hmm. marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers. So, I mean, the Bible is just full of ways to talk about what our family structure should be, what our relationship with our spouses should be, how we should interact with our children, right? Like, it's, yeah, it's a core foundation of yeah. what it's revealing to you as far as how you should be living your life, right? Absolutely, and we did not even dig into all the Old Testament teaching. This is just the, New Testament teaching. This is just New Testament teaching for Christians. And then over years, Christians have gone back and found, okay, wow, there's some great stuff in the Psalms. There's Proverbs 31 for women. There's Proverbs... You know, four, five, and six for young men, and I was you know, just reading that today. Actually, <laughs> there's all this great teaching about uh, uh, how to have a great marriage, and the difficulty is, is that we've talked about this. We'll talk a little bit more on it on Thursday, but the difficulty is, is that there has been intentional ideologies seeded into our society to counteract these ideas Mm. and i think the the one that you have to be most concerned about is feminism feminism argues against any type of submission on the part of women to her husband right right i was gonna say these passages you've read are basically the the premium examples that feminists like to use about how christianity is an yeah, oppressive. outdated and a troglodyte but what's really interesting is that as our society there's no doubt our society has adopted both men and women more feminist values and ideology and so what has happened well i mean what has happened is exactly what they wanted you know gloria steinem used to say you know a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle <laughs> In other words, men are worthless and useless when, and you don't need one. Don't get married and don't have children, you know, which what, what's the implication there? You know, have a career and make money. Okay, that's, there's value in that. But what is she saying to women? She's saying, you know what you are? You, the only value you have is being a working pawn to pay the government taxes. Mm. You know, think about that, women. You're, you're being devalued. You're not being valued for your unique, mysterious, wonderful thing that you can do, which nobody else can do, which is bear children, right. <laughs> you know? And so, you know, you look now at feminism, the, the outcome of feminism is over 60% of males between 18 and 30 are not in a relationship with a woman, and half of those males don't even want one. Mm. You know? So who's happy about that? Well, feminists are. Right. The feminist leaders are. They're getting exactly what they want. When you say by 2030 that 52% of all women will be single and not in a relationship, who's happy about that? Feminists. feminists. That, that's their goal. So these numbers, they've been intentionally pushing towards these numbers and arguing for that, and, and that's what they are getting. But what you can see, there's a tremendous amount of teaching on marriage in the New Testament. And it's important to consider all of the teaching in order to build a strong foundation for your family. In other words, I got to understand marriage and I got to understand how my society discourages marriage, how it undermines my relationship with my husband or with my spouse, how it destroys attraction between the two of us. You need to understand how your society and culture and its values undermine your own security as a woman. 
you know, your own value. You're, you know, a lot of the things that you, if you believe what the world is saying, you end up devaluing yourself, not feeling more valued. And here, here's some real basic biblical things to consider, like uh, principles out of all of this teaching. Number one, the sheer volume of passages on this subject show you that marriage is the foundation of the family was one of the most important parts of the Christian faith. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just this idea of how much, and I mean, you could probably do a quick Google search and find how many verses are dedicated to yeah. the life of the family. And I'm, I'm so assuming it would be a fairly high percentage of yeah. the overall There's a lot. Bible, right? And I think the idea is, and I, this is where your critical thinking skills have to come in, is you can't assume that just because an idea is new, that it is a better idea, which is what, the, which is what the world operates on. I mean, exactly. I even operate that on that, yeah. right? Like I, I look at the new phones and new computers and I go, well, it's got to be better, better than the old one because it's probably faster. It's probably whatever. And that's at least what they tell me is that, hey, we've improved this, 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 yeah. right? But it doesn't, that does not mean every idea just because technology, and that's, I think that's how we kind of start equating it, right? Well, newer is always better when it comes to our stuff. Therefore, newer must always be better when it comes to ideology yeah. Yeah. And, and and the way we think and these new philosophies. And because we're shifting, the culture is getting better. Like that's the mm -hmm. idea of the word progressive is yep. you're progressing forward. Therefore, it must theoretically be towards a better dream ideal goal but that is not what the culture is interested in <laughs> that's right that is not accurate so you have to use your critical thinking skills and say just because these ideas are old mm -hmm. they're thousands of years old does not necessarily mean that they are outdated wrong inferior to the newer quote-unquote yeah. more modern because like ideology. I said earlier, you know, I think that there's an intentional ideology there that's deceptive. And that is what they're doing is they're saying they're, you know, we're curious beings, right? Right. We're curious. We like new things. I do. Uh, I want to advance. I, w I have ambition. I want to improve as a person. I want to learn new things and grow. Mm. And so you have these people that say, well, we're progressive and we're going to, we're showing you the newest ideologies. But then when you get in there and you look at what they're actually proposing, they're proposing stuff that's been around for thousands of years and hasn't worked. And so that that's what, you know, curiosity killed the cat. And, and one of the things is, is that, Am I being manipulated? My curiosity, is it being taken advantage of to try to adopt an ideology that is is as old as the sun mm. and just as deceptive and destructive? So right. am I being gaslit? Am I being breadcrumbed in this direction? And I think you are, you know? And and that's why we need to address, you know, the the importance of what works in a marriage. In, you know, something every new believer is going to work through their faith in Christ and how it impacts their most important relationships. And that's exactly what was happening in Corinthians. You know, they wrote him a letter and they asked him all these questions. And then that whole chapter is so long because you know how he bounces around a little bit. Mm. He's answering questions. They're all about marriage. 
and being single and whether you should get married and whether your dad <laughs> should allow you to get married. Right. But it's all about that. When when you read the New Testament letters, you know, the third principle I think is important to understand is that it's obvious that they believe Jesus was coming back next week. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. But even though he taught that only the Father knew the times and the epochs and so forth and so forth, in, in believing that he was coming back next week, they viewed marriage a little bit differently. Now, I remember back when I first started in the ministry, I was ordained in 1987 into the full-time ministry. Okay, so I've been at this now 36 years, 37 years. And a book came out called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. And it was September, uh, August or September 88, something like that. And there were people who actually sold their houses and bought convertibles and drove around during the day. On that day, that this were, guy. This is that word soon again. There's the word yeah. soon again. <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's pretty ambivalent. And if only God knows, then why would you know right. the day? Yes. You know, see, that's just it. Is it, it. Jesus said, and then Paul says that it will become like a thief in the night. Right. You know, if you're expecting it, they're probably not coming. Yeah, <laughs> you're probably wrong when you pick a date and time. Right. You're probably wrong. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't. Read the winds of and the air prepared. and be prepared. But, but in, so I think, you know, to kind of wrap this up as we're running out of time is that another biblical principle of all this teaching is this. The overall nature of all of this teaching has one goal in mind, and that is, is to help you build a healthy marriage. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a sincere faith. So he wants you to be able to love your spouse from a pure heart. It is to strengthen your marriage, to create a relationship that is mutually beneficial and encourage your faith in the process. The way that you are interacting in your marriage influences your relationship with God and the growth of your faith. So the point to is that you need to take time Um, This is the point of the teaching. Take time to invest in a good marriage. Uh, When you invest in strengthening your marriage, you're not only laying a strong foundation for your family, but you are also growing your faith. And you live in a world that its values and its beliefs completely contradict, undermine, gaslight, deceive, fake news you out of the greatest joy, and that is a strong and healthy family. Well, thank you, Pastor. I'm excited to hear more about what you have to say on Thursday and how all of these verses apply to us today and where we can really be changing the way we view our family and our relationships with our spouses. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you guys so much for joining us and make sure you tune in on Thursday for another episode of the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings.